You are listening to the Holy Cannoli Podcast. It's all about making sense of life, who we are, and why we're here. Life is sacred and life is strange. And here's our dad, Tony Gapastone. We might be here for three hours, though, Indelisa. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> We got, how do you like my raspy smoker cough lately? Is that normal? Do I always have that? Yes, you I always, always said it's your dad. I yeah. did? No, I sneezed like my dad. Oh, this wow. morning I sneezed and one of the girls from the very top of the stairs Wait, said, what, dad, what do you want? I'm like, what? I just sneezed. Oh, I thought you were yelling for us. I said, no, I just sneezed. <laughs> okay, cool. So, hey, Welcome to the Holy Cannoli Podcast, Episode 7. This is Tony Gapastone. Wendy Gapastone. Wendy Gapastone is here, and we have one, Wendy, my wife, why don't you, for Episode 7, introduce our special guest. You guys are in for a treat. It's one of my favorite people in the whole entire world. I've known her from the womb, (laughs) probably, I don't know, maybe since we were three years old. We went to preschool together and then um we're bffs our bffs to this day so welcome into lisa montoro to the podcast thank you her mother babysat me the um author of holy cannoli as the name of this podcast (laughs) babysat me when my mom was working when we were younger so that was maybe even before three yeah that's true started us out from barbies to Candy sharing to <laughs> bridal magazines to today. And you guys still feel extremely close since three years old. You always felt extremely close? I, th- I would say we had our seasons. Of, we went to different schools all the way until high school. So finally when we were in high school, we're like, yes. Um, but we were in youth group together. And then college, she went to college out of the country how mm-hmm. dare. <laughs> and so, yeah, we kind of had different, just definitely some different journeys in the college years and post-college years. And then we found ourselves back together in Redwood City. Mm-hmm. Love it. Faithful friend. Yeah. And our girls call Indalisa, who we also call Indy. They call her Auntie, Auntie Indy. So she's known as an auntie to our three daughters, which is super cool. Yeah. And Indalisa, actually Indalisa... <laughs> Episode 7 is now sponsored by Royal Bloom. <laughs> yes. Indalisa is awesome. Tell, tell everybody what you do for your work and your business. Okay. So I'm an event floral designer, um, which means we don't do everyday flowers, um, but we do weddings and um, tech events and things like that where it's a larger scale. And basically it's storytelling with flowers and plants and botanical things. And it's... Very exciting and wonderful, but also not glamorous behind the scenes. You just mean it's a lot of work. That's what you mean. It's a lot of work. The non-glam is work with your hands. Physical labor, but you make the most beautiful thing. So look her up, you guys. Royal Bloom Boutique. Royalbloomboutique.com is the website. The business is just Royal Bloom. What's your Instagram handle? Royal Bloom California, because there's one in Florida as well. Awesome. <laughs> but just sit in what she just said, podcast addicts, listeners, and friends, strangers. I say strangers in the most friendly way possible because we don't have a listener name yet, although there are two in the running, Canolians, Canolians, and oh. Canolios. Whoa. So does anybody have a vote? Let, let us know. But listen to what 
she just said, rewind it back 10, 20, 30 seconds. And Elisa said she tells stories with plants and flowers. Just let that sit in for a second, because that's a great intro to episode seven as we talk about the church. We're going to talk about what does it mean to be the church? What is this whole kingdom of God, Christianity? What is this God's plan for establishing his people or his ways? And I think it's really interesting that we would have Indelisa, who does all this art and beauty through floral arrangements and in art sculptures and plants and flowers and all this kind of stuff, because the original you know, the, from we know, the story started the garden, right? It, it was creation, it was the galaxy, the stars, the, the mountains, the water, and then God makes this, whether you believe it's real or not, I don't think it matters, if there really were human beings named Adam and Eve, but this idea that this, the story starts in a garden, it starts beautiful, and then the end of the story, supposedly, is supposed to end with a beautiful garden as well, and a remaking of our world. So, Indy, you, this is what you do, you do this whole work of God. I mean, even before we get into like the theology of the church, talk a little bit about how you see your life, how you see your world. And I think that makes you a perfect guest to talk about what we're talking today. Hmm. Well, in my own personal journey, I have learned to hear God's voice through his creation when I don't think I'm hearing clearly maybe um, how I would normally in reading or scripture or prayer. So um, working up close with plants and flowers, you see so many things uh, that are interesting. For example, on a passion flower vine, you can see the entire life cycle of the, fl- the fruit. And it, it starts, you know, on one end with um, a little bud that turns into a flower that opens up and uh, closes quickly, actually. You can come back the next day to your project and the flower's <laughs> closed, which is a bummer. And then it turns into a little pod and then into a passion fruit, and it's all on one vine. So it's really just interesting. There's so many um, ways you can see God's systems and processes and um, just looking up close at beautiful things that no one can take credit for because in this world where you know startups, all these great ideas, which a lot of them are God-inspired, I think, But when you look at plants and flowers, no one takes credit for that. You Mm -hmm. have to look at some other source. And um, Mm -hmm. there's just a lot of beauty and a lot of, I think there's a lot of stories in creation. I love it. (laughs) Love it. Okay, so let's start with this. Let's start first with the word church. (laughs) I have this great love for the word church. And I also like the semantics of talking about church. I have, you know, adopted this sort of banner uh, this protest in my life the the phrase don't go to church but be the church and here's why so let's kind of riff on this a little bit the word church in the greek the word is ekklesia and even though i'm an average theologian who once got a c in seminary (laughs) i know this i know that ekklesia the word that jesus when he says i'm going to build my church uh he talks as the word is a people group that have a mission. And so the word is a called out people or a called out assembly of people who have a shared mission or a shared goal, a shared purpose. And so I, when I really started to understand that, it really gave me new meaning. And it was probably actually 10 years into my job as a vocational pastor or staff person with a church where I started to realize what we do on Sunday is just, you know, such a small part of what it means to be the church. It's an important part. It's a beautiful part of gathering together. And we can talk more about those different expressions of being the church because there are so many different expressions all around the world. 
And you know, in the Lisa, you have a totally different expression of participating in the life of the church than we did in the church that we were a part of, et cetera. But I just thought like the, the idea of being the church as a part of going to church, when you really step back and think about that, has a radical implications on how we live that out. So let's just start there. How about some responses around that or thoughts around that? Because I think for listeners, when we put the church into just a one and a half hour time slot in a building on a Sunday, and then we say it starts or it ends, it really cuts us off from experiencing a greater life, the beautiful life that God intends, like what Indelisa was saying about contributing to the world, making it better, making it beautiful, telling its story. We collectively get to do this together, but I think we often shut ourselves down when I, when I say, hey, where do you go to church? Or how was church this morning? Or in, in any way that makes it just seem like it's a one event wonder that we do every week. But as opposed to, I'm a part of a family. I'm a part of the Gap of Stone family. I'm a part of an artist community. And I'm a part of the church, which is God's radical people who together do good in the world. And that's how I like to, and I know we might feel like it takes a little bit more time to use those phrases or to explain it that way. But I look at my Sunday experience as just being one of many gatherings of worship. It's where the church gathers together and we'll gather again another time and a smaller portion of us will go and serve the poor. Another portion of us might go to our workplaces and make it beautiful and have amazing you know, times of sharing about Jesus in cubicles. But I think that greater understanding of how our mind thinks about the church, remember Pictionary, mm-hmm. right? If I wanted you, if I wanted to win and I got the word church, I would just draw a building with a cross on it and I would get the point. Mm-hmm. But really, if I wanted to be theologically correct, I should draw pictures of people praying together, pictures of, of people serving the poor, pictures of people giving money, pictures of people getting on planes and going and digging wells in Ethiopia. Like That's the greater picture of the church. So I think when we actually sit in that and recognize we're an important part of it, it will radically change how we see the church and how we give our gifts and skills in the church movement. Absolutely. I feel like um, our language kind of shows what, what we believe, too. So I've really appreciated that Gapistones have been really intentional about using the word church, which I, I love, rather than saying we're going to church, we're going to the worship center. Um, because then you can start thinking about what the church actually is, is the body of Christ. And even beyond um, giving to the poor and digging wells, like just being who God designed you to be in your function in the community of the church is awesome because that's um there's i think it's just as valuable to um to use your unique things that you bring to the table in workplaces that might seem more every day as well can you give some examples for people who are wondering like be who god designed you to be in the context of a group of people like what could that look like Hmm. Well, I feel like it's most vivid when you think of the body, so rather than just specific uh, job types, but like I'm just thinking of, you know, like the ear being upset with the elbow or something because it doesn't uh, listen enough or something of that sort, whereas the ear is designed to take in information and listen, and the elbow is a connection point, and the arm is meant to do something totally different. But we think whatever our particular brand and way is, that that's how everybody should have their expression of faith mm-hmm. or be a part of the church. And so we're all trying to be something 
uh, that's set out for us or comparing ourselves rather than really honing into who does who's God designed me to be and like let me look do I bend mm-hmm. <laughs> or you know like mm-hmm. I have these parts that um, for me personally creative I have to have creative expression I am very visual and so I have to see things and write them and um, I can use that to help other people walk into a room and experience mm-hmm. the story that I can tell with um, you know flowers and plants and things like that um, <clears throat> whereas someone else can solve you know, major mm-hmm. world issues by helping a company be more um, efficient or, mm-hmm. you know, use resources in a, in a better way. Um, and that can have a huge impact. And I feel like if that's what they were born to do, if that's what they're passionate about, if that's what upsets them is waste and they ha- can solve something in their industry, then that's beautiful. That's using what God's given you. And it doesn't have to look like being a missionary necessarily. When I got these pictures of what it looked like to be the church, it was usually when large gatherings uh, or large events or when I was uh, in charge of putting you know, something on. Like, for instance, I did these Thanksgiving lunches where we would open up the, our kitchen and spa- our dining room in the campus in which I used to work. And we would have, I don't know, hundreds of people come to this Thanksgiving dinner and I remember going, oh, this is a great picture of what it means to be the church. Because some people were all about the food. They got there the day before, two days before, they were making the turkeys. There were some people who were all about the look and the feel and the ambiance of the room. Because the room that we would meet in was super 70s, <laughs> bad, horrible carpeting, <laughs> and Stale. green, and like yeah. just bleh. But there were people who cared about that, like what you just said. They felt like when you walk into this room, I want people to feel good. I want them to feel God. I want them to feel love. And that is an excellent example of being the church. And then, of course, others were there talking to people and praying and inviting. And when we get those pictures, I think it also changes the way we understand what it looks like to be in the building on a Sunday morning. Because sometimes the way that that translates or doesn't translate now is people just kind of file into a building on a Sunday and they sit and they listen to one person talk, potentially, usually a white male who, uh, who's leading, uh, or a male, because there's, you know, it's, it's a man leading in this one type of voice, one type of learning expression. Um, they sit there for the half hour, 45 minutes that that man speaks. We sing a couple songs. And then, you know, you eat donuts and drink coffee afterwards, and then you leave. Um, I'd say 80% of the church, and I mean the people, they don't get to express their particular gifts and purpose. They don't get to be involved or feel a part of that. Not to say that they can't. I think if you're a part of any church, like, and Lisa, I'd love you to talk about what your church looks like, but some churches meet in a living room with 10 people or 15 people. Some meet in a huge auditorium with 20 or 30,000. Both can be good and both can not be good. But the beautiful invitation I think we have as people is to say, whenever I gather with other people, who am I? Am I that ear? Do I like to listen to people, like Lisa said? Or do I feel like I'm a connector, like the elbow, and I need to make sure I meet new people and meet, help that person meet another person? So listeners, I would encourage you, if you are a part of a community of faith, it's not just the pastor's job to do the work of God on a Sunday morning, or the, the music leader, or the children's pastor. All of us get to serve God, and when we know who we are, we know what our calling is, we know how we get to live that out. And so 
That's what I want to see the church get better at. I want to see pastors get better at doing, uh, inviting people and maybe even sharing the pulpit or switching up what the pulpit could look like, inviting women, doing panel discussions. That, you know, even what we're doing right now, I go, this is so cool because Indelisa and, and Wendy, I'll, just us three were radically different. We're all part of the church, God's people. We all have the mission, the same mission to love God and love others, and we do it so differently. And so those pictures are what I hope the church can get better at, at being this wonderful, beautiful people who change lives, who do good, who, who forgive one another, who reconcile, and who wrestle and debate over really important issues that sometimes the Bible isn't always as clear on, you know? So, so with that, let's, uh, we could go in a couple different directions. We can get into the controversial nitty-gritty or we could stay a little bit here in this area. Let's share some stories about how the church for us, how we've received the beauty and the wonder and the goodness from others who have used their gifts as we've gathered or through just the life and the community of being a part of a people of faith. What comes to mind? We can, we can say, you know, looking at my wife right here, <laughs> we can say the, the, the church really enabled us to heal to find togetherness as a husband and wife like when we dated you know when you're in your 20s and you're trying to figure yourself out you feel so inadequate uh, I didn't come from a family that uh, had a strong marriage so I didn't know how to engage in that I had a lot of fear and so it was couples who were a part of our church community who would invite us over to dinner and mentor us and you know, let us ask them every question and give us great advice. And that's how I see the church was super integral to be who we are today, to help give us a trajectory with our family of hope and health and healing. What would you say about that? Yeah, totally. I feel like people um, throughout the years have mentored me, have pulled me aside and said, hey, let's talk about like, how do you think God has wired you and what could you um, be doing for the kingdom? Do you want to talk about that? Do you want to go through some things? And um, so I feel like that there was a season in my life that was so eye-opening to think that, just like what Indelise was saying, that I thought um, I really wished I looked a certain way to the outside world. Like, I really wish I was a great singer. I really wish I could stand up and teach um, the masses on a Sunday or something like that. And just discovering that is not how God made me. And that's actually great to know that how he made me um and how I can be used for the kingdom in a way that's so much more natural and exciting for me um that's huge and I think too the youth group like Indy and I were a part of middle school and high school youth group and I feel like that was instrumental in my life in how fun that was to be able to invite friends onto our campus every Wednesday night and do crazy silly things and um, I had like a small group leader who was older high school and she was so cool and just um, kind of showed me that there was a different way to do high school than mm. the, the way mm. a lot of the people I went to school with were doing it. So um, I feel like every stage has been really helpful in my life to have people that... Um, I can look to and see as examples of people truly living out, like what does it look like for them to follow the Lord mm -hmm. in the life stage that they're in and what does that mean for me now? 
And Delisa. <laughs> what about Talk you? about Forge, too, would you? <laughs> yes, I love it. It started as a house church, which is amazing because <clears throat> you just feel like you're with people, your family, your friends, and you're doing life and worship um, in such an organic way. And there's very few politics, you know, because there's no chair set up. There's no choir practice. There's no, you know, um, fodder for arguments and things like that. Different perspectives as far as running an organization. So I love that. It's now a little bit bigger. So we do meet in a um, church building. But um, I just I love the atmosphere of knowing everyone there and them knowing me. And there's um, there's sometimes it's not attractive to people because you can't hide. Um, There's definitely accountability for people to see um, and kind of sense what's going on in your life, which is such an amazing thing in a place that it's so easy to be the genuine church because you're familiar with each other and you can ask, you know, genuine questions. You can ask for help and um, there's just no judgment there and um, a lot of great leadership and, um, there's one particular female pastor at the church that is um, just so wise and has been through a lot, you know, in relationships and life and has a good sense of discernment what's going on with the younger women. And mm. so she's always offering, you know, um, to meet with us and to um, counsel. And I have had some life shifting, mm. you know, um, times with her and just understanding from her perspective. And so there's just such value in that, like uh, different ages meeting together and not being separated as well. Mm -hmm. I love that. There's kids around like with us worshiping Mm -hmm. and it's not, um, it's not a program. It's Mm -hmm. very much an organic worship situation. And for listeners who might not be familiar with, you talked about a program or being together, give it a little explanation of what sometimes what a typical church gathering in a typical church space might look like. I mean, people have their ideas from movies and stuff, but you talked about being together. So what is it that it's not when you guys gather? Do you know mm, what I'm saying? Yeah. It's definitely not a place where you slip into the back pew <laughs> and then slip out before you talk to anybody. Uh-huh. It's too small for that. Uh-huh. So you're definitely interacting um, face-to-face with mm-hmm. people. Um, the traditional church setting, I think, is, is what Tony had described previously. The uh, one person who is speaking up front, who is kind of like a lecturer in some ways. And, um, you know, obviously worship and a variety of different things, and then you're dismissed. So um, with uh, smaller churches, and I'll just say for the church, that uh, the worship group that I, <laughs> I worship with. Sorry. <laughs> Watch of. your language. <laughs> exactly. So you guys don't have a Sunday school, quote unquote, where they kind of let kids go do separate things? Or because when you were talking about that earlier, I was like, yeah, that, that just reminded me. I mean, I guess I don't know anything different, really. But mm-hmm. <laughs> most contemporary you know, churches that are around the medium to large are obviously even you know huger. Uh, they tend to need to have a full program, which is where you said things can get political, but they have to have groups for the kindergarten through fifth, the middle school, the Mm -hmm. high school. They have these youth group things. They have these events that you sign your kids up. 
and you know, we, we will even talk about, we got to make sure that the parents can pay attention. So you got to give something to the kids to do. So they're doing their own thing, but they're not with their parents. That's kind of what I assumed that you were talking about. They don't have that. They don't offer that. Yeah, correct. Um, and I totally get when you have larger numbers needing to start have some sort of program like that. But um, fortunately, we're able to have the children with us in worship and they they learn to worship and they learn to hear from God, which is amazing because they're with the adults. And, you know, the expectations um, are, might be a little bit higher and the children reach them. It's incredible. Yeah. There are there's a separate room with toys where they can run off and play if they're having a hard time. But um, most of them choose to stay in the room even during um, our discussion time and the teaching times. And they have these little trays sitting in front of them and they have quiet activities. And it's amazing. Mm. These young children will sit there and do their quiet activities and and they just like they soak it up and they're learning from that environment. So I think there's something very valuable they're getting. It's a different experience, maybe not for everyone, but. Um, I think that they know how to be the church, mm-hmm. and they're less uh, mm-hmm. they're less driven by the programs, mm-hmm. like what they expect, you know, to get to church, and they already mm-hmm. know what's going to happen in Sunday mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm. It's convicting because, you know, for a long time in my life, a lot of my job was to, quote-unquote, produce things in which people would then consume. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but there is a sense that, a lot of the work that we do as vocational ministers who are paid, like I got benefits and I had an office and, you know, my 50 hours a week would, a lot of it would go to something that would be expressed on a Sunday. And it's convicting in a way because I go, I think there is this, this layer of belief that people give money. They, you know, they give their, their offerings or their tithes uh, that's a Bible word for a tenth of what you make, uh, you know, and I think that's a turnoff for a lot of people, right, because they expect the church just wants their money. But we give and we pay people to do work for us. We pay people to do this spiritual work so that our children can learn about God and so that I can learn about God. And and then it becomes difficult because then you've got different people who come to the, you know, the metaphorical table with like, well, I'm giving money and I don't like the kind of music you guys play here. And I don't like this teaching style. And I'm really not happy <laughs> with the decorations you put up at Christmas. Not that I have any experience with that. <laughs> for the listeners who don't know, but that part of my job for many, many, many years was creating, like into Lisa was talking about creating an environment for people to worship in this worship center that I was a part of. And one year, I got this like idea in my this bee in my bonnet, this idea to put up a huge sign that said Hark or, or something like that, like Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And I thought, oh, it'd be so cool. Like the, the angels in the sky when Jesus was born, they were so bright. The shepherds were scared and they crouched down. And I thought, we'll make it so bright, but it just almost looks like it's like a marquee or something. And I got this anonymous little scribbled note that said, Jesus doesn't approve of neon lights. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I just, I mean, I'm, honestly, I was kind of like, what? Come on, people. But uh, the, there is the element of being the church that becomes subjective, right? We all 
express our faith in different ways. There are different styles. There are different churches that you go to one building on a Sunday and it could be very quiet and piano driven. You might go to another expression and they have a full on orchestra and a dance team and all these other elements. Some like I that would do videos. Some have smoke what do you call those smoke not detectors? Machines? Smoke machines. <laughs> <laughs> they have smoke detectors too. Hopefully they have smoke. <laughs> Save yourself <laughs> But yeah, so I don't know. Like, what do you guys think about that's, you know, where we are in 2018, these different expressions of the church? You know, there's these beautiful elements of the people we're meant to share life. And I hear you talking about mentoring and learning together. And, uh, and at least you guys eat a meal together mm-hmm. every time, which is mm-hmm. a great, obviously, that's biblical. Jesus ate all the time with people and people who, who the religious people didn't like him eating with. So eating together is an expression of being the church, praying together. But then there's these, these sort of downside, ugly, awful experiences where people begin to be fighting, and it's like in inbreeding. Um, um, in, is that the right word? Inbreeding. I don't know. <laughs> Finish your thought. <laughs> I was going to say incestuous next, but that's <laughs> hey. wrong too. What am I trying to say? It just becomes inward focused and self narcissistic, where people get angry when they're not hearing what they want to hear or they're not getting what they want to get. And in some ways, I think that should be how it is. Not that you get angry and you can become you know, destructive in the way you communicate to people, or even anonymously hurtful, but we need to be able to say, you know what, I kind of disagree with what you're, t- what you're teaching or how you view um, women. How come there aren't any women teaching in this church family? How come we don't hear from children or we're always removing the children from the larger worship gathering because how are children going to learn to worship with their their families i always loved that um the church that i used to be you know serving with we would talk that pastor that parents are pastors too so parents pastor your kids don't just expect the people who have the jobs you know to pastor your kids but you get to pastor your kids too so let's talk about maybe the underbelly uh, of, of the church Okay, well, here is a message that was sent to Tony that we could kind of use this as a springboard to to talk about the underbelly. But uh, here it goes. To Tony, while I find all of the topics you're interested in talking about, faith, creativity, art, of interest, I'm really wanting to hear you share some more details, which I'm sure are coming, haha, about your story, specifically how you found your way to God, church life, and church wounds. The reason I'm specifically interested in that last part, long story short, is that over the last five or so years, my wife and I have been so incredibly wounded by both the church and quote-unquote church people. It's been a brutal season that has honestly left us scarred and quite disillusioned about Christians. There has definitely been some questioning of God, but definitely questioning the people that claim to be quote-unquote his, but act so horribly toward others. I'm honestly at this point where if I meet a new person and I find out they're a Christian, I'm less likely to trust them than if they weren't a Christian because I've met so many more non-Christians who are loving and kind over the years and so many more Christians who are judgmental SOBs, honestly, (laughs) who seem to have no idea how to walk in grace with people who are struggling in any capacity in life. Of course, we are all flawed as believers and all being transformed into holiness, so I don't put myself on any pedestal. It's just that it seems some people lack any humility and the ability to admit to needing to grow. And those are the people who have really damaged our family in a lot of ways. 
I've come to completely embrace the saying, quote, never trust a leader without a limp. And as the folks who have caused our damage all believe they, quote, have it all together, so much so that they judge and harm many who cross their paths. So as you can see, I have a lot of thoughts on this subject and would find it interesting to talk to you about this or to hear you talk more about that in, future, in a future episode. As I find myself more and more identifying with folks in this season of life who are disillusioned with church, legalism, etc., I hear the undertones of your story, how some church folks' protection of you was good, but I believe some of it sounds like, quote-unquote, religion, and while God's timing is perfect, perhaps some of those folks and their man-made rules prevented you from finding your true calling sooner. sooner. Well, first, I love getting these type of communications, and this is why we wanted to do the podcast, is to interact with people. And I want to say to this person, I actually have interacted, and we're going to keep it anonymous for now, but this person might come on the podcast at some point in the future. I totally understand the disillusionment and the, the sadness uh, to feel, why are people who claim to be Christians and who represent God and the church so brutal and harsh and wounding of so many. And I was thinking about this because, you know, I, I have my stories of being wounded. Uh, I, I feel even as I'm out of this vocational time for the past um, two months now, I'm feeling like, gosh, things have surfaced where I go, gosh, that was really hard. I really had to, uh, to forgive this person for just some really un-Jesus-like behavior. And I could easily know if I was in a different place mentally, I could go, the church is horrible. The church sucks. The church is a narcissistic, you know, people who forget about the real ways of Jesus. But what I'm realizing is I think we often put the behavior of a few people onto the greater movement of, of God and God himself. But these leaders, these people are not the church. It's just these few people. It's just for me realizing like maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 people in my 20 years have just been really awful. And I've got you know, so many specific stories of gossip, uh, of people who sometimes it felt like cared about the flag uh, or, or cared about the country rather than caring about the poor. Um, one time I had to remove our American flag from on a pole like in 1950s on a stage you know I had to remove it from this platform because I was dug in decorating for Christmas and I had people writing me nasty letters it was just so crazy and then over the course of years just dialoguing and conversation I all of a sudden felt like you know I, I, people would give me dirty looks on a Sunday morning people would literally like <laughs> do things that you just go like, I can't, this has got to be a sitcom. This has got, someone's got to be pranking me right now because this cannot be the church. This can't be. And then I, the only way I can understand, I can make sense of it is just to say, these are just human beings who are, who are prone to self-centered living. And that's really what it is. And it's not the heart of God. God is good and he is welcoming and accepting and is grateful. And this person is just not reflecting that. And this person is hurting me and hurting others. And this person is not the type of Christ follower I want to emulate. This person, I've been really, I got to say this, this is really hard to say, but I've been really disappointed mostly by older people in my life who will say things like, well, we've always done it like that. This is how it's been. Uh, when someone says that, it's like a huge red flag for me. 
when people are not willing to change from, you know, the church from, should be different from 1950 till now. And uh, I want to say shout out to one of my favorite people in the world, Ernestine Hoyt, who is 90, 90 something. And she has been a mentor to me because she has been an example of someone who's been quick to change, who has been welcoming, who's been loving. And I got to say, she's taught me the kind of grandparent I want to be when I grow up someday. I've told myself a million times, I will not be this other type of old person because of the interactions (laughs) I've had with old people who've been rude. It's crazy, and it makes me so, so sad. I tell myself, when my kids, when my kids come to me and say, Dad, the Spirit of God is moving like this. This is the type of music we want to do for God, for, with God. This is the type of church we want to, we want to express like this. This is what we want to wear. I'm going to go tell myself, remember how I felt when someone judged me for having a hole in my jeans on a Sunday morning. Or when someone gave me a dirty look because I talked about you know, the poor as being a priority and I didn't care about the way that we handled, you know, the Memorial Day, uh, whatever. I'm like, gosh, things, it's like our, our priorities are so flipped. But this is, this is nothing new. Jesus dealt with the same exact things. Le- religious, legalistic people always miss the point. And we can't say that's the whole church because it's not. There are good people who are loving and sacrificial and kind. And let me say to the writer and to all those who've been wounded by the church, I'm so sorry. I'm a leader, and I know I've probably stepped on toes. I know I've had to fire people. I've had to give people bad reviews as a pastor who employs other people. And people can say, like, I've wounded them and I've hurt them. So I get it. (laughs) But I've tried my best to do what the best I could do and to have conversations with people openly and honestly and never toss people under a bus and that's what I see too much happening in in the church yeah I think it's really disturbing that there's so many stories out there where people's um hard you know situations in life um, are around their church experience um there's I think it's a really complicated issue there's a few things that I feel convicted about and that is that um there is a big priority on, we talked about programs over people, but also um, I think it's much easier to manage what we do than who we are. And so when people are living out their faith because of who they are, it's a different experience than religion, like you said, our religious activity where it's, it's way easier to know what you're supposed to do in a situation and just do that and get through Sunday if, you know, you don't have the internal right with God um, and your heart isn't there. You're going to continually act in ways with what you really believe and where your faith is truly at. Um, you know, the other thing is I, th- I think we're all in process. If you had met me 20 years ago mm-hmm. in my process, I probably would have offended mm-hmm. you with something I didn't understand mm-hmm. or some, you know, stronghold in my life that, you know, in my mindset. Um, and I think, like, as long as we look to followers of Jesus instead of Jesus himself, we will yeah. always be disappointed. Yeah. I was thinking yesterday, even if you look at the disciples, yeah. like in Mark 9 and 10, if you had run into the disciples as a parent who, and they actually says that the disciples were scolding parents for yeah. letting the kids near Jesus. Yeah. That's not a great example. So yeah. if you were the person watching that back then, you'd be like, oh, I don't want any part of that religious group. Yeah. Like, look at them. They, they are yelling at us for bringing our children around. Or how about that they couldn't 
uh, cast out a demon when Jesus had sent them out, right? If you were the person who's standing there with them, you'd be like, this is a racket. They couldn't cast the demon out. And I think this is all crazy. Like, forget Jesus's followers. Yeah, okay, well, Jesus's followers are in process. So look to Jesus and have your own deep relationship where you're hearing from God yourself about what you're supposed to be doing and where you're supposed to be involved. And um, try not to be offended, you know, mm-hmm. where, when you don't need to be. Obviously, Tony brought up the point of um, there are places where church needs to have more discussions over mm-hmm. things that are not going well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think looking to Jesus is where you're not going to be disappointed. And the disciples, to follow up on that story, after they couldn't perform the miracle like Jesus did, they went back to him and asked him, like, what did we do wrong? And Jesus told them, there's a different approach for that. You need prayer and fasting needs to be involved with this particular type of miracle. So they learned that. And then in the future, they did go on to cast out demons and to heal the sick in Jesus name. And they were not at the place yet where they could do that. But if you think if somebody disregarded Jesus and Mm -hmm. all of church because of their first experience with the disciples, they would miss out on Jesus, on God, on the kingdom of God. That's why I'm so encourage that people can experience Jesus in more than just in a Sunday church gathering, right? So if people have been turned off by Christians, I mean, I'm sad about that, but I'm also not worried because God will still reach them through songs and through movies. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. He'll reach them through creation. He'll reach them through books. He'll reach them through their situations, through dreams. So to those of you who have been disillusioned, I want to encourage you Keep going. Uh, maybe find some other people that are safe that you can talk with. Ask around to people that you could trust that are part of a community of faith and join them in their home or just get a small group of people together at a cafe or find a larger group that you can um, see if this is a good, uh, would be a good fit for you. Otherwise, if you feel that that's just too much, just be open to God speaking to you in any way, reading the Bible, listening to music, watching movies, uh, reach out to us here on the podcast uh, Facebook page. I would love to encourage you. This is why we started this, is I want people to be able to experience God, because life is sacred, but life is crazy strange. And uh, right now, I'm also really thinking about the leadership debacle of a very large evangelical church in our country named Willow Creek. And I'm super saddened by it. If you don't know, and I want to speak in grace because I have friends who work there, good friends that I went to college, and they're going through a really tough time because their lead pastor, who I would say was almost like the next Billy Graham. Uh, if you don't know who Billy Graham is, he recently died, but he was a, a man of faith who, again, not perfect. He also had some weird things with women, meaning like he wouldn't meet with women one-on-one, and he sort of came off a little misogynistic at times, but that was just because that was the old school way. You didn't meet with a woman, woman one-on-one because they might seduce you. Uh, <laughs> but now we're seeing the whole other side of things happening where men are being abusive and harassing. And so uh, Bill Hybels, who's the lead pastor, who I read all his books, I watched all his leadership talks, he has been accused of sexually harassing harassing many women, and the church took a very hard stand to say all these women were lying. I mean, lots, they're saying, they said lots of women were lying to sort of disparage his character, and, you know, months went by, investigations happened, and now the church is saying, we're so sorry. We have, we have reason to believe he did fall into sin. And all of us are going, well, of course, oh my gosh, but we're, I'm just going, ah. 
not not him too, but he's human. He's he's susceptible. And one thing I just popped in my mind earlier is as a human, obviously myself, and potentially um, broken and potentially power hungry, potentially I want I want people to think I'm great. It's so easy for someone to go into leadership for the wrong reasons or to go into leadership for the right reasons and then get swept up into feeling if it's about your empire or my name or my ministry. And the Bible is full of stories like this. King David, he's known as a man after God's heart, but he was an adulterer. Uh, he killed uh, a, a man's, he killed a, a woman's wife in order to have sex with her. I mean, it, this is the Bible. The Bible is viewer discretion <laughs> advised. The Bible is full, like Indelisa was saying, of people who didn't get it right. Peter, in the book of Acts, is recorded to literally, literally it says that Peter did not want the Gentiles to get the Holy Spirit, which was basically anybody who wasn't Jewish. It was written that he didn't believe they were worthy or that the Holy Spirit could be available to them until finally, like, God had to speak, like, this, put him in a trance, it says in the book of Acts. Put him in a trance and say, not only um, are things changing, like, you can actually eat shrimp now, you can eat pork, <laughs> Peter, because that's not bad. <laughs> you, you, the Gentiles can have the Holy Spirit, too. And I'm thinking, gosh, this is really where we are today in my mind. We're going to have a whole series of conversations about the LGBT community because we're seeing churches face that very thing right now. Can gay people have the Holy Spirit? Can gay people be blessed by God? Can gay people go to heaven? And I'm going, wow, this is really cyclical in our, our world because we can use scripture, we can use the Bible, and it has been used to a oppress women. Some people still use the Bible to say that they can't speak in a church setting. The Bible was used to prevent interracial marriages. Like in the 50s, in the 50s, there was a Supreme Court case that we used the Bible to prevent an interracial marriage. The Bible was used to uh, enforce slavery. I mean, so we need to, as the church, recognize that these words and these stories are full of teaching lessons for us, of human beings that were trying to understand God. And today, here we are. You know, the the quote-unquote, the, the Bible stories are living in us now. And might the Holy Spirit be inviting us as his people to wrestle together to figure out what is good and what is right and what is holy now. And that means we have to sit at tables and we have to have conversations and we have to disagree. And we still have to treat each other kindly. We still have to uh, respect one another without disparaging or huffing and puffing or gossiping. And gosh, the yeah, the, the, the ways that we can easily tear down someone else's character simply because we see things differently. Well, if we look into scripture, people saw things differently all the time, and yet the movement continues. So the church, the church, God's people from you know today to 20 to 30 years from now is going to look radically different, and we can either be a part of the movement of change in embracing God, or we could be the ones who stand back like the Pharisees and huff and puff and cross our arms to hinder and to limit the work of God. So follow, So, with that, what other things can we encourage people to dialogue about? Um, there are listeners who are maybe super oblivious. They feel like, oh my gosh, I didn't know these things were real issues. I just go to this building on Sunday, I check my kid in, and we go home and eat lunch, and that's it. What would we say to them? How might we encourage them to engage in the church and to be the church? I guess, is the point of church to go and consume something where you sit and rate 
the worship for the day and then receive a message and go off and be encouraged or maybe ask the question of God, what does the church supposed to look like and how do I contribute? And I think if that statement uh, stresses you out because you feel busy, then maybe reconsider that uh, God intended you to have the passions you have and the interests you have to use them. So maybe it's actually something that would bring you joy and not be another thing that you feel like is a, a to-do on your list or something that's going to suck time out of your life. Reconsider what the church is meant to be. Um, if I could share uh, a quote. Um, the late Miles Monroe in his Kingdom Principles of Business and Management, I think applies really well to uh, church as well and the body and how we um, work together to be the church. So uh, Moses, he solved the problem of the day mm. of slavery. David solved the problem of Goliath. Mm. Joseph solved the problem of dreams and economics in a famine. Esther solved the problem of genocide in her day, and Jesus solved the problem of sin. So I think, um, you know, figuring out what lights your fire and realizing, you know, that might be what your contribution to the church is. Maybe there's uh, a problem to solve that's something you already love to think about and um, something you're made to do. And um, partnering with God, I think, is the common thread between yes. all of those stories. They listened to God. They went through so many trials, every one of those people on that list. Um, they had to second, you know, go back and say, did you really say that, God? And they had um, to really flesh it out on a day-to-day basis, listening and, and communing with God to do what they did. It's not a, uh, here's your mission, now go do it. <laughs> I think that's where a lot of Christian leaders get lost mm. and um, maybe even attacked because they're out there trying to do good things. Mm. But um, yeah, so thinking about what's what lights your fire and maybe that's actually your contribution and something you would love to do. And then you're, you know, being a part of a church rather than just a consumer of church mm-hmm. as you know it. And Lisa and I have talked about this before, but I want to speak to it as well. There are people who feel as if you're not good enough or worthy enough to be used by God or to partner with God. I like that, the distinguish of instead of working for God or serving God, like just work with him, partner with him. We as creatives often talk about how in the church life, it didn't always feel like we had a place because there, you know, that's why I went into ministry and to become a pastor, I felt like being an actor at the time wasn't a worthy call. That was the, you know, the underlying message I got, but Maybe you're a business person and you feel like, gosh, what do I have to offer the church? I don't have a seminary degree or, you know, I'm, uh, maybe I'm a, I'm a dancer. Like, how can I express, you know, the story and the grace of God in, in this setting? I think both Indalisa and I have both recognized that the church is made up of all these different elements and everyone is just as important as the next. So the seminary degreed preacher is no more important than the the child, the the teenager who loves to draw and creates these amazing illustrations that could be used to illustrate on a on a Sunday gathering a, a concept of the kingdom of God. They are just equally as important, and I think that and I don't mean to be controversial, but I think some people go. No, someone who's speaking the word of God, the scriptures, is way more valuable. I go. 
we need it all. We need it all and don't ever belittle yourself or anyone else or think you're better than anyone else because of what you bring. We need every gift to expand the story of God and to help people understand they are loved and accepted by him. And not just every gift, but every person, because you come with your own story and your own experiences and your own um, ways that you have been healed that other people need to hear and be encouraged by. So um, I guess that's my encouragement for people who are feeling disillusioned and Mm want to unplug Mm -hmm. from the corporate meeting together of church. Um, I think that there's something in your story that's important for other people Mm -hmm. to hear and know and be encouraged by. So, And I would say you could even start to the person who wrote the letter. You might not be going to that building with the cross on it anymore, but where you work or in your neighborhood, just invite a few people over. And even just start by saying, hey, you interested in talking about faith issues? Or what is your faith story? Do you have any kind of faith background or do you practice spirituality? I'd love to talk about. Can I share mine? I'm kind of dealing with some some doubts or some questions or here's what I've been wondering. I found people are more open to talk about spiritual things than ever. I think sometimes we believe this lie that it's really hard to talk about God. I don't think so. I really don't. I think people are really open and sometimes they're antagonistic, but that's fine, but they're still open (laughs) to talk. (laughs) And so you could be the church in your house, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. I used to do a prayer gathering at this uh, restaurant that I worked. I'd show up 15 minutes before my shift and I said, anybody wants to pray? And we would just pray in the back and literally four or five people would come every time. And I saw people literally start following Jesus just because of that. It was so fun and so beautiful. Uh, What would we say to pastors or leaders of the church? How could pastors and leaders lead better? Well, first of all, don't abuse people, okay? (laughs) Don't harass, don't cheat, don't steal money. Hello, keep your hands to yourself. (laughs) Jeez. Uh, Also, how about inviting other people to speak and especially women? How about empowering young people? How about, oh gosh, pastors, when you hit your wall, when you've been there too long, bye, time to leave. If you're, if you're not growing your church and you are personally not growing as a human being, it's time to go. Uh, there's a church in um, Seattle and a church, oh, I'm going to forget the name of it, Quest by Eugene Cho, and then uh, another woman pastor named Nadia Bowles-Weber with All Saints and Sinners, both in the same month. Uh, announced that they had hit the limit. They realized uh, they needed to pass the baton and everyone was like, no, we love you. Like that's the best time to leave is when you, you, you did all you could do and it's time to give it to somebody else. And I think some pastors stay forever. That's kind of how I felt. I was going like, how much longer can I stay? How much good could I do? But if you're getting to a place where you're not growing as a human being, your gifts have hit the limit and your, your audience is kind of the same, get out, pastors, get out. I would say just being a pastor's wife is <laughs> so long. Be um, cool to the pastor's spouses. I was going to say, like, rest, mm. recognize, like, it's not all about you. And the drive for mm-hmm. accomplishment yeah. or whatever your goals are. But um, to take time to step away and tend to yourself and your soul and your family soul care you're not jesus you don't have to be jesus you can't like paul said you don't save people you don't grow people you just water and plant that's all you do (laughs) what about don't be afraid to make a decision that might make people leave make a hard stance 
I think we, we pastors tend to be a little bit safe and afraid that if we do something, like if we uh, remove a flag or accept LGBTQ people or cut off a ministry or um, start a new gathering or change the music or buy a new building that people are going to leave. Well, it's okay. It's okay if people leave. Jesus had people leave from his ministry all the time. So, Tone, we got a question from a friend of ours. Um, now that you are no longer employed by a church, do you still feel yourself wearing the title of pastor? And if so, who is your church? <laughs> Lisa Ann Woldridge on Facebook. I think I posted something about it'll be weird not having that, you know, that identity. But she said, uh, pastor is not just a title, it's a lifestyle. And I really liked that. I appreciated that. I think all of us in some way, a pastor is someone who just takes care of others and shepherds and helps guide. And I think I'll always view myself as that. I want to do that. Even as a director and a filmmaker, I view my movie sets like that. I want to care for people. I want to care for the production assistants and the um, script supervisor and the DP and my actors. I want everyone to feel loved and welcomed and wanted and with my business, with the interns I'm working with, with whatever team I'm on. I just think, yeah, I'll always see myself as a pastor, and I guess I'll, I'll feel like I'm a pastor at large. So whatever room I'm in, I want to pastor people and help people and love people. So in podcasts, strangers, addicts, and friends, I guess you're my church. You're my, you're, I'm, I'm trying to pastor you, I guess. Yeah. Wow. All right. Uh, Indalisa. Are you a hugger? We need to ask you that question. <laughs> Carol Kurt, my mother-in-law, so would want to know. Right now, Andy. So cute. Most of the time, yes. I think if I'm unsure of where I stand in a situation, I'm definitely more um, on the conservative side of not touching someone or not hugging. But people that I know and love, yes, indeed. Is there anything else we want to say on this topic before we close it out? I know it's one podcast. We're not going to solve the problems of the church, but I hope we can celebrate the goodness of, of God and the goodness of people together. Like that's what the church is meant to be. But any other final comments? I was just thinking there's no line in the calendar of where you are, who you are. So the question made me think of, you know, if Tony sees himself as a pastor, he, he has those gifts. And so he, he is that Monday through Sunday mm-hmm. <laughs> and year round and every year. Right. Mm-hmm. So seeing it as something as part of your life and whatever part of the church you are versus a um, small window or Mm -hmm. just on Sundays might help to expand our minds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you ever had the experience where you meet another person who's a follower of Jesus and you're just super excited? Like, wow, there are more of you in the world. That's so exciting. And and you go, are you a hugger? (laughs) Can I hug you? And then all of a sudden you start talking. Oh, we're radically different, though. (laughs) (laughs) Because not every follower of Jesus votes the same or prays the same or believes the same. And that's really interesting. That's a whole nother, that could be so disillusioning because you think, wow, I, I'm a Jesus follower and I'm pro-life and I'm a Jesus follower and I'm pro-choice and I'm a Jesus follower and I'm this. But there are all different forms of followers of Jesus. And somehow we have to be together. Somehow we have to do this life together with respect and gentleness and honor. Okay, can we do that? Yes. Yes. All right. Amen. <laughs> all right. That's all we got for the show today. We could talk so much longer, but thanks for listening. One more important oh, question. Ooh, ooh. Um, where are the cannolis? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you listen. To- <laughs> we owe you a cannoli. Okay. <laughs> Serious uh, Italian girl question. <laughs> 
Let us know if you want to be Canolios or Canolians listeners and follow uh, Indalisa Montoro at Royal Bloom Boutique. Thanks so much. Dot com. Thanks for listening to Holy Cannoli. If you liked my dad's podcast, please subscribe. Give it a review and share it with someone you think would be encouraged by it. You can post questions or suggest topics for the podcast on our Holy Cannoli Facebook page or use the hashtag Holy Cannoli Podcast on Twitter and we might read your question or suggestion on air.